We'll hang, hang it up so everybody can read it. Of course, if you can read my, my handwriting, that is. To my church family, I have no words to properly describe the measure of love you have shown to me and my family. Several of the pastors, and I alluded to this earlier, were in awe of the word you used to testify on my family's behalf. They described an overwhelming sense of love that you showed. I will cherish and remember that day forever. Thanks to each and every one. Thanks to Bubba for picking such a great Bible. I want to admit, this is a Bible. This is a Bible thumper's Bible. <laughs> this, is, this is indeed a, a very heavy Bible. I actually did a little research. It has the second most study notes of any study Bible out there. So Only John MacArthur outdoes it. But that guy has way too many notes. I truly want to thank the church for this great gift. The Word of God has, has captivated my heart. I love you, church. I love your dedication. I want to thank you for that. During the hard times, I want us to remember these days. There will be hard times ahead. There will be difficult ministry to do. Remember these good times when we're in those hard times. Remember that, that God is on the throne, that he is the one that is able to take the scroll out of the Father's right hand. He is the one that watches over us. As we encounter these growing pains, I want us to remember that you know, these growing pains are really God stretching our faith so that we can reach that top shelf blessing he has in store for us. In his love and for his glory, your pastor, Dylan. We are reading your own letter. <laughs> now, uh, as you can see by the slide behind me, we're going to get a little Old Testament today. Best of luck finding a backup, chapter 2, verse 2. I got to cheat. I already have it marked in the Bible here. If you find your place, please stand for reading God's word as I pray. Abba Father, Lord Jesus, I give you thanks for this great day. May we continue as we did last week, Lord, in worshiping your holy name with great joy as we've done this morning. May we do so in word now, Lord, so that we may do it in deed later. We want to give you praise and glory and honor, Lord, for you are the one on your throne. You are the one who makes us righteous. I can do no thing on my own, Lord. I am not worthy, but you are worthy, God. You have called us by your name. We give you thanks, Jesus. In your holy name, amen. Amen. And chapter 2, verse 2. And the Lord answered me, Write this vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay Reading of the word. You may be seated. Now I know we've we're looking with anticipation to the four horsemen of the apocalypse that we'll get to once we enter chapter six of Revelation. But I I thought the time proper and appropriate now to to take a, a one week break from that and talk about what God's going to do, the vision that God has has given me for this church and what we will be in, going forward. There will be times where we'll. we'll We'll find it easy to do the work of the Lord, and there'll be times where we'll find it difficult. But I want us to, to all know that I firmly believe that New Hope is in a great place right now. We, we have been in a time of pain in the past. Many, many of us have, have gone through those pains, but personally and as a church. But we've been humbled by that, and we're now seeking God's will. We're seeking His healing. And as we put aside our own desires... I think you'll see on the other side, God has great things in store. God is truly opening a door. It's not about me as the pastor, but it's about all of us serving him. 
We are brothers and sisters. We are, uh, we are one people as an army, and Christ is our general. We march with the orders that he has given us. But there is also a problem. Well, I've discussed this with some of you earlier in our Sunday school, and we had such a great Sunday school hour. I did not want it to end, but you know, we, we are a time-based time structure here, and it must come to an end. But this is the problem that we face as a church. As When I say church, I mean the whole church, not just New Hope. Today, before midnight, there will be 10 churches that close their doors for the final time today. In America, 10 churches close their doors every single day. That's over 4,000 churches a year. 900 of those are Southern Baptist churches. Don't think we're immune to that. There are many pastors who have stood in the pulpit and said, that will not be us. And a pastor could be strong-willed and try his hardest to make sure that is not us. But the reality is, is that we have to be unified. We have to be willing to seek God's will and follow that out wherever that takes us. We, we can't be divided. For Satan loves a divided house. Jesus spoke of this. A house divided will not stand. There is good news. Our own denomination planted 1,200 churches last year. That is a good thing. Now we can get into the ways that they plant the churches and they themselves acknowledge that they've not been doing this in the most biblical way. And they are changing that. And I am very glad to see that. But if we are honest with ourselves, if we are only planting uh, plus 300 churches a year, that means we're not even keeping up with the population growth. 75% of these churches that close are in, church, are in communities like ours, communities of 100,000 or more people within five miles. These are not farm town churches that you know, we could write off and say, well, the church is decreasing because the, the kids don't want to be farmers anymore and they're moving off to the big cities. That is not what's happening in America. America is falling away from God. There's no way... To, to, to put it. And there's reasons scripture tells us why these churches are closing. We discussed this of what Jesus said in Revelation. That God, Christ himself, will not put up with a faithless people. If you want to see this church grow, it will grow by faith. It will not grow by programs. It will not grow by the, the latest fads and those type of things. It will grow by faith. Gimmicks do not grow a true godly church. Those only last a short while. And the other, and we have a slide for this. You'll be happy. I'm quoting King James for you, fellas. <laughs> Proverbs 29:18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. This is a problem in way too many churches. If I were to ask you, why does New Hope exist? Could you tell me? We exist just to meet together on Sunday morning and, and have you know, a club and where we come together and know people? No, that's not why we really exist. Part of our existence is to worship God. Amen? Amen? That is the primary reason we gather together. And the Old Testament talked about how they gathered in the temple daily and met each other's homes. They gathered in the temple the primary purpose of worship. God is holy and he desires to be worshipped and he deserves to be worshipped. We need to understand why we're here. What mission God has us on and what that will look like. A vision, as I'll describe in a little bit, is something that is is what we see for the future, the ideal future of this church, what it will look like. Now, I'm not going to sell you on some grand 
uh, church idea where we're going to have 40,000 acres <coughs> and 22,000 satellite campuses or you know, something ridiculous like that. I don't feel that's godly. I don't think it's really God-honoring. I, I will sell you on what the Bible calls a church. First, I want to share with you so we can understand a little bit. In, on May 25th, 1961, President John F. Kennedy announced before a special joint session of Congress a very dramatic and ambitious vision of sending America safely to the moon before the end of the decade. Why did he want us to, to go to the moon? So we could plant a flag? Why did we go to the moon? What was the purpose of that? Think about the time period. What was the purpose of that? About two weeks before... Go ahead, Brother. To establish dominance in space over the Russians. Absolutely. It was pride. Two weeks before that, you know what happened? The Russians sent a cosmonaut into space, and he orbited around the Earth. They were the first ones to get into space, and they were the first ones to orbit the Earth. The Americans, we were in a, a race of all different kinds. We talk about the Cold War, the arms race, the Bay of Pigs. There was all these things going on, and Kennedy was not about to be outdone by the Russians. And they sat down and said, what is it that, that we are able to do, that, that we could succeed at? And you know what? You know what his advisors told him? We can't beat them to, to, to just getting in the space, but we have the technology and the knowledge to get to the moon and back before they do. And so that was Kennedy's vision that, that he laid out for the Congress and he laid out for the country. And so how, how, do we, how did he go about doing this? We, we had these things called the Apollo missions. That's where we, we actually went out into outer space and we had all these different missions and and one of them was grand and ended up with us stepping foot on, on the moon. Think of the miles that the moon is away. It is truly an amazing thing to try to comprehend that man would dare step on the moon and be able to live to talk about it. You know, it's one thing to fly a ship somewhere. It's another thing to fly a ship back into the Earth's atmosphere where it's burning up at hundreds of thousands of degrees. We've, we've lost too many astronauts because of that very reason. But we saw this, this vision that Kennedy had for it. And he, he had a very specific purpose. His purpose was to establish dominance, as Brother Mark said, over the Russians. To show them that they were not going to beat us. We were not going to be bullied. That they were not in charge of the world. But as we, we seek out our purpose as a church, it needs to be biblical. It needs not to be centered in pride. It needs to be centered in what God cares about. And so what, it, what I would lay out for you, and go to the, the next slide is that our, our purpose should to be to help people have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We'll get into all, all the fanciness of what that means, but I want this to be simple so everybody understands it clearly. From the littlest kid to, to the, the oldest member of our congregation, our purpose as a church is to, to bring the gospel to people, to help them have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because in the, the end of your life, that is what matters. Do you know Jesus? Does he know you? We sang that great song that, I want to be home. I'm on my way home. We want to be on our way home, right? We want to be home. But first, God has given us a mission here. We just can't go now. And day will come where he will call us home. Some of us individually and some of us through the rapture we discussed about in the last few weeks. But that time is not yet, and we, we, we have a mission to accomplish as a church. And we'll, we'll talk about mission in, in a little bit. But I, I want to speak to the, the vision that 
that God has given me here. I want, I want to be clear. So, so this is the statement that I would, I would have for you. And we'll have it printed on bulletins. And we'll, we'll have um, Sunday evening, Wednesday night discussions to really hash out what I mean by this. But the vision is this, to, to make disciples, growing them to maturity as they obey the commands of Christ. And upon maturity, sending them out to plant gospel-driven, cross-centered, and community-focused churches. I want us at the end of the day, when, when we look at churches, you know, when we look at the health of this church, what we see in Acts is we don't see a church that just gathers together solely to worship. We see a church that gathers together, they evangelize, they preach the gospel. They tell others about Jesus. And when, when, they, when they do that, those people come in, they, they believe they're part of the fellowship, and they are discipled. And then they are sent out. They, are, they go into ministry. Too often in our culture, what, what we've done as you said, you know what, There's, we're going to send somebody off to seminary and they're going to get trained and educated and then we'll tell them to go plant a church somewhere. That is not the biblical model. The biblical model is, is for me as your pastor to equip you, to train you, to educate you, to prepare you to go out into the community. A lot of people don't like this because that means work. That means you got to get uncomfortable. Jesus told the disciples that you're to go to, to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Where was Jerusalem? Jerusalem is where they were. It was home. This is our Jerusalem. It's comfortable. I know each and every one of you. It's comfortable with you guys. It's, that, that part's not hard. Judea was a little farther away. It incorporates, it would be our Illinois. There's going to be people in Illinois you know and it's comfortable going in those communities. And there's going to be places we go where it's not so comfortable. You know, there's rough, rough parts in our country. Some of us would be at home in a farm setting. Some of us would not. Some of us would feel comfortable on the south side of Chicago. Many of us would not. But then to Samaria. Where was Samaria? Think of the good Samaritan. Samaria was this land that the Jews would go around because they would dare not defile themselves by going through Samaria. Because they were half-bloods. They weren't pure Jews. They were half-Jewish and half-Assyrian and and other things. And so they, they viewed them as less than them. They're not quite as good as us. But Jesus says, Peter, the apostles, you're going to Samaria. You're going to the people that hate you. And then after that, I will send you to the ends of the earth. There are going to be days ahead where we have to get uncomfortable. And it's not going to be fun. There are going to be days that are fun. I don't want to you know, cast this doom cloud. But I want us to realize that, that this is the work that God has in store for us. He is going to build this church up. He is going to increase us in numbers. He is going to increase deacons. He is going to raise deacons up. I said on Wednesday night, deacons are not made in their 30s. They're trained up since they were three years old to, to be called men of God. We need to make sure that we are focused on our kids' ministry. Because if we lose the kids... How do you expect we're ever going to have deacons? I love Brother Steve. He preached a great message. I'm going to make sure it's online so the whole church can hear it and listen to it often. It's a great charge to all of us. But the one thing that Brother Steve prays for is deacons. You know how many deacons he has? He has zero. Because if you expect the world to train up deacons, you're going to have a bunch of men who are not qualified to be deacons. And that's what they face. We are very blessed to have three. A church of our size have three deacons. We are very blessed. I look for the day where we could have more because 
Godly men have been raised up, have been equipped and trained in this church. I pray for that day to come soon. But that takes us being intentional with discipleship. We can't just throw programs at them and expect the kids to, to one day be disciples, one day be deacons, one day be pastors or missionaries or evangelists. We need to be purposely training them up. We need to be building into each other, mentoring each other. As we, we look at it and, and, and look at what we must do, we, we need to under, understand why we do these things. We need to understand why we want our, our kids to be raised up. Because in the schools in our day and age, they're they shown all kinds of horrible things. They're told all kinds of horrible things. They're told that they come, come that are a random chance in evolution. They have all kinds of different things being thrown at them as kids. And what is their church doing? Is their church coming alongside and raising them up? Is their church preparing them to face these questions? Does the church let them ask questions? You know, a lot, a lot of times we talk in the church world that kids go, you know, we, the kids are raised in church and then they go off to college and lose their faith. As you know, I answered in the, in the, uh, we'll call the grill session. I think we wanted to call it biblical review or felt much more like a hot seat to me. But last, last week during that time, I was asked if someone could lose their salvation. I said, absolutely not. Amen. You've done nothing to earn your salvation, therefore you can't lose it. Amen. So why do we think our kids could lose their salvation then? The problem is, is the kids don't have these doubts and struggles when they go off to college. They have these doubts and struggles while they're with us now. Research tells us it starts in the fifth grade. But they don't feel comfortable asking their pastor, their Sunday school teachers, or their parents. So what do they do? They hide it inside till they go off to school. And then somebody offers them some other way, and then they're gone. And then you struggle day after day after day trying to get them just to come to church, let alone receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. Our work, our mission, the vision we have is very important because it affects the kids. Where will the churches across this land be in another generation? One of the common complaints people took Especially younger people talk about church. I don't want to go to that church. It's full of a bunch of old people. Those old people are wise. Amen. And the problem is a lot of the young people think that they, they know everything. And, they, and the, the wise are offering them this knowledge of Jesus Christ. And they say, oh, I got this and I got that. I, I, don't, I don't need that. The reality is we all need a Savior. Everyone in this community needs a Savior. I would have your heart bleed for all those who don't know Christ, just like it bleeds for your family member, for your sons and your daughters, your parents and your grandparents, your, your nieces, nephews, your cousins, your neighbors. I would have your heart bleed for everyone in this community. Why? Because they need Jesus just as much as you and I need Jesus. You know, somebody told me this week that this church, before it was known as New Hope, way back when, was a church of God. In the denominational sense, not, not in that we're not a church of God. But that this was full, this church was packed with the community. The community has changed, yes. But the gospel hasn't. God hasn't changed. There is no reason this church can't be the community's church once again. That's what it will be. We, we talked about last week when we were singing, build your kingdom here. God will build, build his kingdom here. I believe he, very firmly, he is going to use our church and the, the way we move forward is a blueprint, not just for association, but across this country, on how to have a godly community church, how to 
how to do a church where you're sending people out. We often hear that phrase, it's not about seating capacity. It doesn't matter we could fit 120 people in here. How many can we send out? How many people in here right now could we send out as pastors, as missionaries, as church planners? Could we send out five? Be honest, could we? No. That speaks to the church health. We are really good at love. We are really good at fellowship. Discipleship and evangelism, we have to get better at. And I know we'll get better at. I believe that's why God has brought me here. To help us get better at that. To help equip you to do that work. Too often in churches we expect the guy behind the pulpit to do all the work. And what kind of fruit do you get? You get the fruit of one man instead of the fruit of 80. You know, you could, we could go out and pick apples all day long. If I'm the only one picking, we're not going to have very many at the end of the day. But if we're all picking the fruit, we're going to have a whole lot. I see our church as a hospital. Why do people go to a hospital? Because they're sick, they're hurting, they're having some kind of crisis. I see us as a spiritual hospital. When, when those people find themselves in, in that life's thralls and, and Satan's all around and they've lost a loved one and they need someone to cry out to, we will be here. When they need to... to find out how, how to get a cure for that spiritual cancer they have in their life. We will be here. We will offer them the cure. It is Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. It is His gospel. That is what we will be about. A hospital does many things. A hospital will also send out paramedics to go into the community to retrieve those that are hurting and bring them back to the hospital. When I say you're mature disciples, I mean you'll be paramedics. You'll go out and help those that need it. Hospitals also train up doctors and nurses. That is what we will be. We will train up people who, to, be, to be doctors and nurses. They won't have to be like me and go to seminary and spend way too much money to get that education. We will give them that training in-house as a church should do. A day may very soon come where seminaries are under so much pressure from our government to, to appease the way they view life that they will no longer be able to give a godly education. Many of them are facing that right now. Saying, oh, well, we either sacrifice the, the financial aid that the government offers, and then it becomes a lot more expensive for people to attend, or we start to allow the things that we disagree with into our seminaries. It's happened at many. The Southern Baptists are one of the few that has resisted it. But those, those days are coming. There are many that are warning of those days. I say, before we ever get to those days, we do it right. Do it. There was no seminaries in Jesus' day. You think? You didn't go off to Southern Baptist Seminary, you know, with the apostles. No, you were trained by Jesus. You were trained by the apostles. You were trained by those that they sent out. You are trained by Paul and Timothy, by Barnabas and Silas. Those men of God that were appointed and sent out. Where were they sent out from? The church in Jerusalem. And then they planted churches, and they raised up others, and they, they sent, they sent uh, missionaries out. When we look at the type of churches, we talked about this Wednesday. In our, in our culture, there are many different types of churches. There's a tradition-driven church, and many of us have been in these churches before, where tradition is the number one thing, where it even supersedes the will of God. They perpetuate the past, and they say the best days are behind us. I say to you, and I believe, and I want you to believe the best days are ahead of us, not behind us. If you do not believe this, our best days will be behind us. If we are not 
unified in this, our best days will be behind us. We're gone are those days where we reminisce on the good old days, but we will focus on the good days to come. There's the personality-driven church. We've got a charismatic pastor. I won't name names or things like that, but we see them all the time on TV. The problem is they, they, turn, they turn people into their own disciples. We will be a church that makes disciples of Jesus Christ. He will be the personality we follow. Amen. There are many program-driven churches. I'm not saying programs in, in themselves are bad, but what I am saying is that a program is not the solution. We can throw programs at people and at the wall till, till the, the cows come home, but I don't own any cows. It's not going to work. Our program is that of the Great Commission. We are to share the gospel. We are to make disciples, teaching them to obey all the commands of Jesus Christ. We are to do that until he returns home. There's the building-driven church. Winston Churchill famously said, We shape our buildings, and then they shape us. Too many people make idols out of buildings. If the number one budget line in, in a church's budget is the building, you've entered into a building-driven church. They praise the church. They don't really praise God. Buildings should be used as tools, not idols. But we are building upon the great foundation of Jesus Christ. The church is not a building. New Hope Baptist Church is all of you. Amen. If a tornado were to strike down today and destroy our building, we'd still be a church. We wouldn't need to wait for the insurance company to give us money to rebuild it. We are a church. Amen. You and I together as brothers and sisters. Guess what? The, the, the church that you read about in Acts, they didn't have grand buildings. In fact, the church didn't really have buildings until like the 4th century after Christ. You know, we, we get too caught up and say, we need a great building. We don't need a great building. We need to rely on the great God we have. And there's the event-driven church. We all like events. Our culture is based on events. But that can't be the type of church we are, where we're just about filling up a calendar to have stuff to do. Because then we're doing what, what America does, where we're just being busy. I know so, so many families that they, they go to work and the kids are in 12 different activities, and they have activities on their own. They're barely together. They have no time for God, no time for church, no time for rest. They want to know why they're sick and unhealthy. God has told us in his word that you need rest. You need a day each week to take and have rest, to seek God out. Not just Sunday morning. You, we need a time of rest. We will have events, yes. But those events won't simply be there so there is something to do. But we will have a purpose in all those. And that purpose is Jesus Christ and his gospel. There's the seeker-driven church, a church that focuses on the needs of people outside the church. This in and of itself is not bad. But when that is all the church cares about, they're doing evangelism right, but they're doing everything else wrong. We evangelize with the purpose of training up disciples. As I've said to you before, when you're a full, mature disciple of Christ, you will be a fisher of men. You will go and evangelize others. Too often all we want to do is, is evangelize and not, not build up that relationship that we call in, in fellowship. Not, not do the discipleship part of it. Not train them up for the work of the ministry. My, my, my desire for this church is for it not to be another 12 years before a man is ordained. I give, I give God great praise that, that, that you, have, you have ordained me. That you have testified that God has ordained me. But I desire to train up other, others to come along. To see others, other families going through that process. 
to see others making an impact for the kingdom of God. Yes, here in Aurora, Oswego, Montgomery, but in our Judea, in our Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. Seekers, unsaved, unchurched, whatever label we want to have for them, we, we need to make them realize that God loves them. That should be our number one priority. When we reach out to our neighbors, we're not the Jehovah's Witnesses, where we're not going to be banging on doors saying and offering them that. We're going to go, yes, there may be times when we knock on doors, but we're going to offer them the love of God and explain to them that love through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what am I getting at? What kind of church will we be? We will not be any of these churches because I do not believe one of them is biblical. I believe the biblical church is what I would call a gospel-driven church. The, the DNA of our church, the very core of our being, needs to be about the gospel. I asked my Sunday school class, what is the gospel? What is the gospel to you? The gospel feeding the poor? The world calls that the social gospel. Is the gospel telling you that if you tithe enough, you're going to become rich? Call that the prosperity gospel. If you have to put a word in front of it, it's not really the gospel. It's a false gospel. There's strong, strong, strong warnings in Scripture against preaching another gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, that the Father has sent the Son to take upon your sin on that cross, to, to take upon the wrath of God. He died in your place and rose on the third day. They see in the right hand of the Father. And he offers you eternal salvation. That is the gospel. That is what we need to be about as a church. When we do ministries, and we will do ministries, whether it's, it's something, uh, a felt need like a, a food pantry. We can do a food pantry, yes. But the gospel needs to be at the core. I don't want to feed people on the way to hell. That's a waste of resources. I want, I want to help people. I want to help them with the gospel. We can train, train and help people in this, this neighborhood. There are people who do not know how to read in this neighborhood, adults. There are people who do not know how to use a computer. You know how hard it is to find a job if you don't know how to type? Almost every job now, you have to be able to type in a resume. People need this training. We can offer it to them, but that's not why we're offering them the training. We do it as a way to offer them the gospel. Show them we're doing this because we love you, because God loved us enough to die for us. And he did it for you too. Mm -hmm. Never lose sight of the gospel. It will be our great motivator, our driving force. Whenever an idea of ministry or a program or an event or anything is proposed, I want us to ask the question, is this driven by the gospel? To, to the ministry leaders we have. That is the question I will ask you. And you'll, you'll know ahead of time. Is it driven by the gospel? If you can say yes, I'll say, go, do it. And if you, and if you say no, I'll say, we're not going to do it. That's not what we're about. We need to be cross-centered. Everyone that is a Christian should live a cross-centered life. We should live, live a life that, that shows we reflect upon the cross of Jesus Christ, that it has changed our life, and that we can never be the same again. It's to live knowing the great price that Jesus paid, to not take it for granted, to know the great responsibility we have to our King who died for us. All we have come to know, come to understand, and come to believe about Christ can be seen through the lens of the cross. Good Friday, I will expound upon what I mean by cross-centered, but I, I want you to, to be here for that, to understand that we must live with, with the cross at the center of our lives. Understand that 
that when we make decisions as individuals and as a church, the cross needs to, to be the lens that we look through. And the last part is we need to be community focused. This is one thing that most churches really struggle with is to be community focused. And I, I mean community in two ways. Community internally. The internal part of the community we are usually good at. We call this fellowship. But the, the external part of the community, going out to the community, we struggle with. It's our uncomfortable zone, if you will. It is our Judea. To go, to go out and, and to, to reach people, to, to tell them about Jesus Christ, to do events that, that, that have us encounter with them. Some events, like when we have block parties, those are fun. But there are, there are things that God is going to tell us to do that won't be as fun. But, but we need to realize what is at stake. The very souls of this community are at stake. Your neighbors, your loved ones. Heaven or hell, there's no in-between. You don't get to be good enough to get into heaven. You don't get to say, well, my, my neighbor's a pastor, therefore I get to go in. It doesn't work. I have a, a dear lady that's a few, few houses down, doesn't think she knew to go to church because she lives near a pastor. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't. You having a pastor in the family won't save you. Your, your father and mother being saved doesn't save you. <coughs> Kids, I'm talking to you. You all must make a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. Amen. Dad and mom being saved does not save you. Your kids being saved doesn't save you either. Reality is, we are called as a, a church to, to worship God in everything we do. When we come on Sunday morning, yes, but also the way we live, we live our lives. There's four key aspects that contribute to this, and I've touched on them already. The first one is evangelism. Leave that slide up there, that's fine. The, the first one is evangelism. Evangelism leads to fellowship. Fellowship, you know, as you, if you come to believe and you're fellowshipping with the body, you've been here for several weeks, it is time to start what we call discipleship. Being trained like Christ, being being raised up and being equipped, people coming alongside you and mentoring you, truly becoming disciples, understanding what that means. Too often we, we, we hear great preachers preach the gospel and there's nobody there to follow up, nobody there to help them be disciples. So when you become disciples, this will lead to you getting involved in ministry. You know, I'm, I'm going to ask my, my leaders to get together a list of all the chairs of our different ministries and teams that we have. There are many of those teams that need help. Their leaders need help. Pray for the leaders. But we're going to post these positions up there on the teams that need help, and I want you to look at them and pray over them and see if God is leading you to be on this team. It is not fair that we expect one person to do so much. We have some people in this church that do the jobs of five people. That is not right when we have so many <coughs> capable people of, of stepping up. As... as as we look over at these things, ministry eventually will lead into evangelism. It is a cycle. It is meant to be that way. That's what Jesus said. I will make you fishers of men. He told them right away what his purpose of calling them was. So Peter, come out of your boat. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Did it happen that day? No, it was a long process. They had fellowship for three years together. There was times where Jesus sent Peter out. He sent them out by two by two, and they went into communities. And there was times they just flat out failed. But what I love about the leadership of Jesus is he allows them to fail. He doesn't nitpick them and micromanage them so much that they don't have that opportunity. 
They learn from those lessons. And you'll, you'll see as you read your word that, that Peter becomes one of the greatest leaders this world has ever known. Not just in the Bible, but one of the greatest leaders, period. Right. And why does that happen? Because this is a process Jesus has taken them through. This process I have behind me, this is not something I just picked out of thin air. This is the biblical process you read in Acts. This is a biblical church, and this is what I desire for our church to be. I'm not going to give you grand platitudes of what this church will become. What this church will be is an Acts church. It's a church that desires to do things God's way. And we're going to honor God and bring Him glory. I've said to you before, but why do we send missionaries out? Why do we do it? We send missionaries out because they are fishers of men. They will go to where we send them and they will share the gospel with others. And then they will believe and they will enter into the fellowship and be disciples and become ministers themselves. And what does this all do? What is at the center of it? It is worship. It is to bring God glory and bring Him to Him more fully. That is what we are to be as a church. That is what we will be. My intention very, very soon over these next several months is to sit down one-on-one -on -one with each and every one of you. Talk about the desires that God has placed on your heart. The passions that you have. You have passions that I don't have. You have talents that I don't have. I want to hear where God is leading you. Because only when we are united, we come together. When, when the vision God has given you <coughs> joins together with the vision that God has given for New Hope, then we will see that amazing door that is open. We will see it thriving and flourishing. You will see a community that is on fire for God. God is still on His throne. We see our country in decline morally and spiritually. We see churches closing. But this is not because God has changed. His gospel, the effectiveness of the gospel has not changed. The Word of God has not changed. His Holy Spirit has not changed. Amen. The Son never changes. Right. What has changed? Us. It's us. we got to look internal. We have to realize we got to get out of our comfort zones and realize it's not about us living comfortably. I wasn't called here to be your pastor to make you comfortable. If you thought that, you called the wrong one. I'm called here to equip you to send you out so that you will make disciples so that God will be worshipped as He deserves to be worshipped. Amen? Amen? Because what do we do when we go home? We, all, we always talk about going home, being in glory. What do you do in heaven? Worship. You worship. But your time to evangelize is done when you're in heaven. You won't find an unbeliever in heaven. Your opportunity is here. It is now. Don't miss it. There are those around us who need the gospel. There are those in here that I know need the gospel. You've heard it a thousand times. And you keep rejecting. Or you, you keep fooling yourself, thinking you're good enough. Or thinking you believe when you don't really. I want you to search your hearts this day. Because you cannot join these ministry teams. You cannot join us in mission if you do not know Christ. How can you know what God has for you if you do not know God himself? You need to know God. The mission of this church is to partner with other churches in what we call the Great Commission. Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Understand that Christ is with us. This is his vision, not mine. Christ is still on his throne. He's still in charge. 
the, the, the lion that has conquered, the one that has taken the scroll from the right hand of the Father, he is the one that watches over this church and every church. Where he sees faithfulness, he will increase the church. And where he sees a lack of faith, he will remove his faithful and allow that church to close. Because he will not be mocked. We need to be real clear. God will not be mocked. I believe that God has given many of you big dreams. Dreams you can't even contemplate yet. Dreams you don't even know how to put into words. You know, I, I remember many years ago when, when I first started going to a Bible study and I started, first started feeling a, a, a call to ministry. I felt embarrassed to share with others. Like I wasn't good enough. And others came alongside and they trained me and they helped equip me. Some of them were there last Sunday. Your day may very well soon come where you're up here being ordained. But you have to be willing to step out and be discipled. It's not easy to, to come along and say, you know what, I need help. I'm not yet the disciple Jesus wants me to be. Church, help me. Pastor, help me. My deacons, help me. Sunday school teachers, help me to be the man or woman that God is calling me to be. In April, we're going to have a a membership class. I encourage all those that are not yet members that want to become members to, to join me there. I will answer every question you have about New Hope, about myself and the vision that God has given us. I will answer any questions or doubts you may have about the Southern Baptists. I want you to understand we are not beholden to them. We are a local autonomous church. If they, got, if they get out of line, we will separate. But we partner together because we are stronger together. Just like as a church, we are stronger together. We are stronger together with them when they are following God's will. But for all this to happen, it's going to take hard work, as I've said many times, but it's going to take prayer. All of us need to go to the Lord in prayer. All of us need to be united. I know there are times in our church lives where we have intention with others. If you're having tension with others in the church, go to them. Reconcile with them. Go before God. We need to be united as one body to do the work that God has for us. I encourage you, if you have pain in your life, maybe it's preventing you from serving because it just hurts too much, come lay it at, this, at the altar. Like Brother Paul did with his cigarettes. Come lay it down and give it to God. God has already taken up that pain. He knows what it's like. You and I do not know what it's like to be crucified. To have the Father turn His face away. While you are dying. To be separated from God. But He knows what it's like. He is willing to take upon your burden, your pain. Give it to Him. Release it. Let it go. Put it on the altar. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord Jesus. We need to recognize that I cannot do this on my own. That there's no amount of fancy words preaching up here that, that is going to change hearts. It is the Holy Spirit that changes hearts. Right. If we go out and we do ministries that are not led by God in this community, it will fail, and it will fail spectacularly. They'll write books about how bad it failed. But if we seek out God and what He has for us, you will see it succeed. And they will write books about how great God's movement was in Aurora. I long for the day, once again, that this church can be part of why Aurora calls itself the City of Lights. Amen. Right now it calls itself the City of Lights. Many years ago it was the first, the first town in the Midwest to have electricity, to have lights. That was a wonderful thing. 
Now when the lights go out, you look around this, this town, what do I see is I see casinos, I see abortion clinics. Those are the ones that are lit up. That is not the light of the world. You are the light of the world, for Christ lives in you. We need to be about his mission. We need to believe in the vision that he has given us and to seek it with all our hearts and all our lives. I know many of you want us to join in this vision, and I want you to join us. But in just a moment, we're going to play one more song. We're going to have an altar call. And I want to invite a few up for membership. But to those of you who may not know Jesus, or maybe you've fallen away and you need to come and repent, or maybe you have anger with somebody here, come down and kneel at that altar, repent, give it to God and let it go so that we can enter in, into the ministry that God has for us. Ultimately, as your pastor, at the very end of my days, when God calls me home, what I, I would desire for you, for me, for all of us, is what we read in, in Jude, verse 24. Now all glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away. It will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. Yes, we have faults now. We are sinners. There's no, no way around that. But God says if we trust in Jesus Christ, as the songs we sung earlier, we will put on his righteousness. That all those, those wounds, those scars, they will be mended. That through the cross of Christ, we are made perfect. That through Jesus, we are whole again. So I encourage you, when the song plays, come down. Whether it is to receive salvation or whether it is to, to ask for forgiveness. Or to ask God to take a pain away or to heal you. This is what this altar is for, is for prayer. To, to seek God. I will join you there. Let us pray. Now, Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the great blessings, Lord, and I thank you for the vision. May we live it out. May we seek it. May you come alongside us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. May your Son, Lord Jesus, lead us. May we follow him as we discover the missions, the how do we get to the vision at, at, at the end, Lord. May, may we seek you out and you guide us on, on ways to do that. There's ways we're, we're doing it now, Lord, and there's There'll be new ways we do it in the future, ways we expand what we do. There may be some things we're not, we're not doing right for your glory. We'll remove those. Convict of our hearts, Lord. Let all those that desire to know you as Lord come down now, Lord. Anyone that needs to repent, come down. Let us be reconciled one to another. Forgive me of my sins, Lord. Forgive your people of, of their sins. We desire you now, Lord Jesus. It's in your holy name. Amen.